Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Dustin. I'm on staff here at South Point. Uh, This morning, we are going to be starting our look into the Christmas story. I don't know about you guys, but I can't believe that it's Christmas time already. Maybe it's just me, but time is like flying by. But we love Christmas in our house, and I'm not lying when we say that even me and my wife, we get a little giddy and excited around Christmas time. And I know that the word giddy likely doesn't come to mind when you look at me. (laughs) But I can get giddy like everyone else. Man, there's something different about Christmas. I don't know what it is. I think what's beautiful to me is that it is for all of us. Like I know some of us, we had a number of beautiful like traditional Christmas mornings and then For others of us, like Christmas has always been kind of a downtime because we never really had those things. For some of us, we're reminded of loved ones who've passed away every time the holidays come around. But I think if you can kind of sift through everything that Christmas has become and really get to the heart of what it is that we're celebrating, and I know it's cliche to talk about what Christmas is really all about, but we're actually celebrating the moment when God moved heaven and earth to get to us. You just think about that for a minute. That the light of heaven left heaven to rescue us from our brokenness. And that's for everybody. Whether you grew up in a beautiful, loving family and had amazing Christmas mornings, or whether you've never had a single good Christmas in your entire life and never really had anything, whether that's true, no matter where you come from, God moved heaven and earth for you. doesn't matter where you come from, this message, the gift, from God is for you and it will meet you wherever you are. That is why we're calling this series Everything Changed. Because the moment you start to lean into what God has done for us through this gift of Jesus, the moment you begin to embrace this message of heaven, come down to earth and then understand that this gift would go on to suffer and die and pay the price that we deserve to pay so that we could have a hope and a future and experience community and relationship With God, when you begin to lean into that, everything will begin to change. The story of Christmas didn't just change the world, it has changed me. And it has changed so many people in this room. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be reading the Christmas story from the perspective of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you've been with us this year, we spent this entire year reading through the book of Acts, and the book of Acts was also written by Luke. Now, a few things about Luke, if you don't know him, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician, actually, and he's the only one of the apostles who wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile. He was not from Israel. He was an outsider. But because Luke was a doctor, he separates himself from a lot of the writers in the New Testament because he's very exact and precise in how he writes. He loves details. He includes a lot of details. I read about the scholar named Sir William Ramsey. Sir William Ramsey, and this guy was a devoted atheist. Like, have you ever known an atheist that it's not enough to just not believe in God, but they have to try to discredit and destroy the message? It's like their entire identity. Well, that's William Ramsey. And William Ramsey decided once and for all that he was going to destroy and discredit Christianity by taking the two most historical books of the New Testament, which he determined to be the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts, both written by Luke. And he was going to choose them because they contain the most details about locations 
and people and leaders and the state of society. He was going to use Luke's words against him to try to discredit Christianity and prove that it was all fake. And so Sir William Ramsey, he studied the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke for years and he actually went to all the archaeological dig sites to try to disprove the claims and after years of studying the words of Luke and going to all these places and researching, Sir William Ramsey went from an atheist to an agnostic and then eventually he became a born-again Christian and gave his life to Jesus because at the end of the day, after all of his research, he said that neither the book of Acts nor the gospel of Luke contained a single historical inaccuracy. He couldn't disprove any of it. He went on to claim that Luke should be considered one of the greatest historical writers. And not only did Sir William Ramsey become a born-again Christian, but he went on to become a great apologist. And an apologist is someone who defends the Christian faith with intellect and reasoning. The message of the gospel, the writings of Luke, the outsider and the doctor, led Sir William Ramsey to Jesus. And this is the book we're diving into today as we read Luke's account of heaven come down to earth when everything changed. But before we do that, will you guys just pray with me? God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for this moment that we have to share together right now. God, I pray that this is not just any ordinary Sunday. God, I pray that through your word, through the message of Christmas, through this message of heaven come down to earth, that you just stir up something in our hearts right now. I ask that your Holy Spirit be with us right now and give us ears to hear and hearts to receive whatever it is that you have for us today. I pray that you speak through me, God. This is all about you. It's not about any of us in this room. Be glorified in this place, Lord. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, interestingly enough, Luke does not jump right in with the nativity story. He doesn't start right with Jesus. He actually first reports on the conception of one of the greatest Jesus witnesses to ever live. Before Luke begins even talking about Jesus, he gives us the account of the person who would specifically prepare the way for Jesus. He doesn't start with Jesus. He starts with the greatest Jesus pointer to ever live, the person who spent his entire life pointing other people to Jesus. And if the letters JTB mean anything to you, then you'll know where we're headed. In verse 5, Dr. Luke begins the story. He says this, he says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So just to paint a picture for you guys of this couple, Zechariah is a priest, and he's also the son of a priest, who was probably the son of a priest. And Zechariah is married to Elizabeth, who's a woman of pure Jewish lineage. And so in terms of like righteousness and religious credibility, Zechariah and Elizabeth are a power couple. Even the meaning of their names have great significance. The name Zechariah means God remembers. God remembers, which is awesome. And then the name Elizabeth means God's oath or his promise. And so when you put the two of them together, what their names mean, if I were doing their wedding, I would say I now introduce to you for the first time as man and wife, Mr. and Mrs. God remembers his promise. 
It's pretty amazing. Just as a side note, did try this with my wife's name and my name. <laughs> it's not nearly as cool. If me and my wife did this, we would be Mr. and Mrs. Fighter Farmer. Not nearly as cool, especially considering that neither one of us fights or farms. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are Mr. and Mrs. God remembers his promise. That's a pretty good foundation to build your life on. And yet, the Bible says they've never been able to have children, which actually in the ancient Jewish culture is a mark of shame. And even though it's never written in the Bible, a lot of priests and rabbis held the belief and actually preached that having children was a sign that you had favor with God. But also, if you didn't have children, that was a sign that you didn't have God's favor. And again, the Bible doesn't say this, but people believed it. The fact that Zechariah and Elizabeth had no children, it brings a great deal of shame to them. It stains their reputation. It socially makes them stand out and not in a good way. So Mr. and Mrs. God remembers his promise, and yet... We have no children. Can you imagine the kinds of prayers they prayed as a younger couple? And maybe some of us in this room can relate. God, please give us a child. We want to share our love. We want to share our lives. We want to build a life. We don't want this dark cloud of public shame and these questions of what ifs hanging over our life anymore. But Mr. and Mrs. God remembers his promise are old now and the children just never came. And Dr. Luke, he tells us why. He explains that Elizabeth was barren, that she was unable to conceive. So we have this wife who's barren, and then the two of them are just well into their life. Like, they're not old or middle-aged. Like, they're old. They're towards the end of their life. The hope of having children was lost for them a long time ago, and the passage goes on in verse 8. says of Zechariah, Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many people will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away or he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Just so you guys have an idea of how significant all of this is, historians actually estimate that at around the time of Jesus' birth, there were upwards of 20,000 priests working and the temple in Israel. Zechariah is one of 20,000. And this wasn't like a multi-site megachurch with different campuses and buildings all over the place and live streams. Like This was one massive temple with 20,000 priests who worked in rotation there. 
Now, without jumping too far into the entire way the temple operated, but just to still give you an idea of how it worked, I want you to picture the temple as like a dartboard. All right? And on the outer ring of the temple, that's where the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, could hang out. Anyone could spend time in the outer ring. As you get a little bit closer to the middle, in this place, Jewish women were allowed to hang out. Women of Jewish descent were allowed to spend time there. As you get closer, only Jewish men could spend time in that place. As you get a little bit closer, we get to a place that's called the holy place. And in the holy place, priests were allowed to go in this area, but only to perform special duties. And then in the very middle of the temple was a place called the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, only the highest priest, the high priest, the most important priest could go there only once a year to make a sacrifice for the sins of everyone in Israel. And in the Holy of Holies, God's presence dwelled there. Well, this burning of incense that Zechariah does, it's extremely important. Every day in the holy place, they'd offer a lamb to be killed both morning and night, every day, except for Sabbath. And then they'd leave a mixture of flour and oil on the altar as well. And then they'd offer wine by pouring it out on the altar. And then finally, they'd burn incense. They did this every day. And they did it randomly. The priests who did it were essentially chosen by a lottery system. And so your odds, even as a priest, of stepping into the holy place with 20,000 other priests in the lottery was slim to none. And yet by God's providence, Zechariah is chosen. And so he goes in to do his duty to burn this incense. And as we see, God changes the plan. It says an angel appears to him, and this angel says, I've got great news, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard by God, and you and your wife are going to have a son. And I wonder if Zechariah is like, you mean our prayers for a child like 50 years ago? But the angel says you're going to have a son who's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he's conceived, and he's going to turn the hearts of the people of Israel, and he's going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah which is this amazing moment where this thing that Zechariah and his wife have been praying for that they thought they were never going to get is finally going to happen. But I want you to notice why God is giving them a child. Because you see, it's not because they deserve it. It's not because they've lived righteously enough to earn it. It's not even just to bring them joy, although it will bring them joy. At the end of the day, the reason God blesses them is to bring glory to himself. This child will go on to be John the Baptist, this wild, emphatic, committed prophet who would go on to point thousands to Jesus. And I want you to catch this as we enter a season where everyone starts thinking about love and serving and giving and generosity and blessings. I want you to take note of this by way of Zechariah and Elizabeth, that God's blessings over your life are never intended just for you. God's blessings over your life are never intended just for you. Now, this isn't to be a buzzkill and try to take joy away from the blessings in your life. And this isn't to tell you that the blessings in your life aren't for you to enjoy. Actually, the exact opposite. What I want you to hear in this and what I'm telling you is that with every blessing that God gives to you, every blessing, you have an opportunity to then go and bless someone else. And that's how God wants us to operate as we move 
through this life? Who can I bless today? Who can I serve today? Who can I love today? Who can I sacrifice for today? Who can I reach out to today? Who can I check on and encourage today? Does your mind work like this? Because you've been blessed. You are blessed. You may be the most pessimistic person in the world and think you have nothing to be thankful for, but I am telling you right now that you are blessed. Now, God blesses in a number of different ways, and I think sometimes we like to reduce that to just money. And yeah, if God has blessed you with money, he intends on you to use that to bless other people, absolutely. But even if you don't have money, you can still bless people. If you have a roof over your head, no matter the size, you can bring people in and you can feed them and you can connect with them and love them. If you can sing, and even if you can't sing, you have an instrument inside of you that can point to and celebrate and glorify Jesus Christ and all of his amazing grace. If you have kids, you have an opportunity to pour into them and turn them into little light sources of light to shine Jesus on a dark world that desperately needs it. And you may say, Dustin, I don't have any single one of those things. I am not blessed. And to you I say, if you still have breath in your lungs, that's one of the greatest blessings of all. And you also have the message of the gospel, which is the greatest blessing of all. And with your breath, you have an opportunity to tell people how loved they are and inflict on them this great hope and peace that is available through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I know for some people that sounds corny and cheesy, but can you just imagine what it would look like to be a part of a community of people that every single time we're blessed by God, we become like these little trampolines that our blessings don't stick to us, they bounce off of us to the world around us. What would that look like? Hearts full of gratitude. Man, I promise you, I promise you that if you are constantly examining your life and dwelling on what you do not have, you are going to be miserable for your entire life and no amount of money or blessing would ever fill that hole for you. I know a lot of miserable people who have a lot of stuff. And I know a lot of people full of joy who have next to nothing. You see, if you're always looking for reasons to be grateful, you're going to see them. You're not only going to see the ways in which God is at work in your life, but you're going to begin to see the ways in which God wants to work through your life to bless those around you. Think about the kid song, This Little Light of Mine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Your blessings are never for you to just sit on. They're never for you to just keep for yourself. Mr. and Mrs. God remembers his promise are about to have a baby boy, but this baby boy isn't just coming to make them feel happy and fulfilled. This baby boy is coming to be the greatest witness for Jesus who ever lived. This baby will be John the Baptist. The passage goes on then to tell us how Zechariah responds to this news that him and his wife are going to be having a baby. It says this in verse 18. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And let's just pause here for a second to observe the perfection with which Zechariah words this. He says, How are we going to have a baby? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> Husbands, you might be or one day may be an old man, but your wife is never 
an old woman. She's just advanced in years. Take notes, fellas. Add it to your vernacular. That woman is never going to be old. She's only going to become more advanced. Isn't it crazy that Zechariah doesn't believe the angel? It's crazy to me. Zechariah has an angel in front of him telling him that a baby is on the way for him and his wife and staring at an angel, he says, I don't know if that's possible. Staring at an angel. Zechariah, when was the last time you saw an angel? I don't know about you guys, but the day I see an angel is the day that I believe pretty much whatever comes out of their mouth. But Zechariah says, how will this happen? It's impossible. Passage goes on, it says, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Uh Uh-oh, Zechariah, this is not just a normal angel. This is one of the most important. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. I'm imagining he's pointing to his mouth like, I can't speak. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. She got pregnant, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. For the record, the words take away my reproach among the people means that Elizabeth is massively relieved that the shame that we were talking about because they didn't have a child, Elizabeth understands that that shame is about to go away. Elizabeth is about to have a baby. Now, Zechariah, he lost his ability to speak. And I assume he can't communicate either. And so Zechariah knows, because he talked to the angel, he knows that this baby isn't just any other baby. This baby's different. This baby's about to be the greatest Messiah pointer to ever live. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. But Elizabeth, she hasn't gotten that memo yet. Because Zechariah can't talk to her. All Elizabeth is thinking about is how the people of Israel have been bad-mouthing her about not having kids, and she says, finally, my shame is going to be taken away by this baby. Finally, my shame is going to be taken away by this baby. To To quote a famous Christian or Christmas song, do you hear what I hear? My shame is going to be taken away by this baby. Elizabeth just unknowingly shared the message of Christmas and the message of the gospel with us in one foul swoop. My shame is going to be taken away by this baby. Now, her husband can't tell her yet that she's really close, but not quite right. The truth is, her son's not going to take away her shame, but her son is going to go on to prepare a way for the baby who is literally going to take away the shame of the entire world. Elizabeth will find out soon enough. The very last verse of the Old Testament, the very last verse of the Old Testament says this. This is interesting. Malachi, the prophet, says, Behold, 
I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. If that sounds familiar, it should, because that's exactly what Gabriel just said to Zechariah. He said, your son's going to come in the power and spirit of Elijah, and he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. The exact same thing. And then Malachi finishes saying, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The last thing God says in the Old Testament predicts the life of John the Baptist. God says, I'm sending you guys a messenger to tell you that a Savior is on the way because we've tried everything else. Like, I I tried, I gave you the law of Moses, and you guys couldn't keep it. I I tried to give you the system of sacrifice, but you guys couldn't uphold it. I even gave you guys judges to keep all of you accountable, but then the judges became more corrupt than you. And then I gave you kings to rule over you and keep you in line, but those kings got distracted and lost their way. And then we tried prophets. I gave you guys people who would speak to you directly the words that I spoke to them. I gave you the direct words of God, but not only did you not listen to the prophets, but you killed almost all of them. And so if I don't step in now and do something about this, there's no hope for anyone, and all that's left is destruction. That's the last thing God says to his people in the Old Testament, and then there's 400 years of silence. Utter destruction. Nothing after that for 400 years. God doesn't speak after that until this angel appears to Zechariah and speaks to him. And then Elizabeth unknowingly speaks to all of us and says, my shame is going to be taken away by a baby. I'm telling you guys, only God can orchestrate all of this. It's too perfect. It's too amazing. Now let me read you the last verse of the New Testament. Remember how the Old Testament ended utter destruction. This is how the New Testament ends. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. It's a pretty big contrast. From utter destruction to grace for all people. How do you get there? What happens in the middle? Well, our shame is going to be taken away by a baby. We're talking about names. We've talked about Mr. and Mrs. God remembers his promise. Do you know what their son's name means? The name John? It means God is gracious. That's what John's name means. And and that was also the message of his entire life. This is not a coincidence. And and even now, as we're talking about this, the, the words of John as an adult are just ringing in my ear because the first time John sees Jesus approaching as an adult after pointing people and talking about Jesus is coming and spending his entire life doing this when he first sees Jesus coming over the horizon he points at him and says behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Guys this is the story of Christmas. This is what we're celebrating and Luke begins his story of Jesus through Zechariah, Elizabeth, and their son, John the Baptist. And their story tells us God remembers his promise. And heaven speaks to mankind. God is 
gracious. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everything is changed now. Let's pray. God, you're good. I cannot emphasize enough how grateful and thankful I am for the gift of your Son. My life, I can't even imagine where I would be if it weren't for your amazing grace. Thank you for moving heaven and earth. Thank you for sending the light of heaven down to earth to live a perfect life on our behalf and then die for our sins because I felt your restoration. I felt your peace. I felt your grace. And it is the foundation on which I've built my life and so many people in this room have built our life. God, I want to spend not even this this entire month, but spend this entire year, spend our entire lives celebrating this. Your amazing grace, Lord, it changes everything. It takes what is broken and it fixes it. It takes what is dead and brings life to it. It takes what is stained and makes it clean, Lord. I pray as we walk out of this place that the words of Dr. Luke stick in our head, that the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and their son John just stick to us, God. And I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, even as we walk back into our daily lives, out of our business, that this message just sticks right into our hearts and begins to impact the way we interact with the world and impacts the way that we begin to interact with this season. I pray that this community of people is a community that is just enamored and amazed and blown away by you and the fact that you would do all of these things for us. Make us that community, God. We cannot be if you're not with us. Lord, we love you and we trust you. We pray all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here with us today. Just a couple things before you take off. If you came prepared to give, we have a few ways that you can do that. Uh, we have giving buckets on your way out if you want to give in person. Also, you can give online or through text or through the mail. All these ways in which you can give if you're prepared to do so. Also, um, there should be a... This is... All right, that's why. Uh, there should be a Connect card in the seat back in front of you. Uh, if you are newer, newer with us, will you just fill that out and take it back to Connection Point? We have a gift to say thank you for joining us this morning. Also, if you have questions about anything that's going on at South Point, you can write those questions and someone will follow up with you. Uh, also, going off of that, if you are new with us, we're doing something uh, this Sunday. We do it the first Sunday of every month called New Here. This is really informal. You just come sit down with some people from our leadership team here at South Point. We explain what it is that we do, how you can get involved. We tell you our story and we invite you to tell us yours. It's a really great way to get plugged in. Um, and then just a couple more reminders. We actually moved our Christmas tree lighting to tonight at 5.30. And so if you've never been a part of that, it's really simple. It's not super structured. We just come, we hang out, we spend time together, we light that big Christmas tree, and we sing some Christmas songs. It's just an amazing way to get together as a community and kick off this amazing season. And then if you weren't with us last week, you probably saw it on the way in. We have a giving tree in the lobby that's covered in little envelopes. Those envelopes are challenges that you're meant to take. And it gives you opportunities to love and serve the community and people around you. The thing about it is those envelopes are sealed and you don't really know what you're getting until you open it. There are challenges for families, individuals. There's a little key out there. But as you look at it, as you think about this, our challenge to you is that if you take this envelope and you open it up, that no matter what it says, that you commit to doing it. And we know that God will do amazing things through this. I want to invite you guys, if you have anything you need to pray about or talk about, we have some amazing people down here who are willing to have a conversation, willing to pray with you. Please 
Take advantage of them. That's what they're here for. They love you. And then over here in the prayer room, if you're not comfortable talking with people, you can go fill out a prayer card, stick it in the wall, and our staff team is committed to praying for all of those every week. Um, you guys are going to be dismissed in a second, but before you are, I just want to invite Jamie out here. He just has a few things that he'd like to share. I think it's important uh, to talk about the incident that occurred last Sunday during the second service and the plan we have set into motion moving forward in order to ensure that everyone hears the same thing. I have prepared this statement to read um, in each service uh, this morning. Tomorrow we'll email the same, this same statement to those in our database. Uh, there are some who are unaware um, of this incident, some who have heard about this incident from others, and some who were present when it happened. Uh, for those who were not present, let me briefly describe what happened. About midway through the second worship service while I was teaching, Edward, who has been a part of the South Point family for about two years, spoke out loudly during the service a couple of times. Uh, both times he was dress addressing me, uh, saying that he only wants a handshake and not to be otherwise touched and asked why I touched his arm. When someone from our tech team responded to him, he touched his leg while trying to calm Edward. This further agitated Edward and he began to yell and shout obscenities. We were blessed that a group quickly responded and asked Edward to step out of the worship center, which he did. Once outside, Pedro Rojas was able to talk with Edward, find out what was going on, and calm him down. For those of us who were there, this, impact, this event impacted everyone in some way. From multiple text, phone calls, and personal conversations over this past week, we know this deeply impacted some of you. For some, this incident has brought up past trauma, stirred up fear, and raised some questions I hope this statement addresses. I am sorry you experienced it. First, I will try and lay out all, I'll try to lay out the series of events that led up to the outburst as we understand them. Then I'd like to talk about some of the steps we are taking that we hope will br help bring healing and restore trust. This past Friday, Garen, who is a part of our staff, staff team, Pedro and I had the opportunity to sit down with Edward to listen to him and to find out from his perspective what led to his outburst. But first, it's necessary to share some important background information. Shortly after Edward became, be, began coming to South Point, one Sunday morning, I greeted him in the lobby. As I was greeting him, I made contact with his arm or shoulder as I shook his hand, and in that moment, he told me that he does not like to have any physical contact beyond a fist bump or handshake. From that day forward, I have tried my best to honor this boundary. I know that he has shared this same boundary with other men at South Point as well. Two Sundays ago, Edward shared with me and a number of others here that his brother Michael had passed away suddenly. I was so happy to watch his South Point family respond and share their condolences. This, the Sunday of the incident, prior to the first service, I approached Edward in our lobby 
to shake his hand and ask about his brother's funeral arrangements. During that interaction, without thinking, I touched his arm with my other hand. Later that same morning, Garen, while trying to get his attention, touched his elbow, also forgetting his boundary. Then, sometime later in that morning, someone else touched his shoulder. All of these unwanted contacts, coupled with the grief over the loss of his brother, ultimately led to the outburst in the worship service. Every one of us has boundaries when we interact with others, and I, I violated Edward's boundary. Both Garen and I were able to apologize to Edward in our meeting, and we sought and received his forgiveness. I, I really appreciated that in our meeting, Edward apologized for what happened on Sunday, and we accepted this apology and also forgave. In his subsequent text, Edward asked that I pass his, this, his apology onto the entire church family, and I hope that you too will accept his apology and extend forgiveness. Edward is not here this morning, but he plans on coming next Sunday. I would encourage you to confirm these details with him if you want to. I, I shared this statement with Edward yesterday, so he knew exactly what I planned to share, and we worked together in clarifying a few details. I also asked him if he had anything he would like to share with his church family, and this is what he said. As a church, let us always put God first. We believe that God's vision for South Point is for everyone to experience God's unconditional love, and we do mean everyone. Everyone includes Edward, and everyone includes those who were present Sunday. What the word everyone means in this situation is walking through the messy middle between continuing to be a church family to Edward so he will continue to experience the unconditional love of God and at the same time making sure that those who experienced the incident as well as those who are now hearing about this incident can be assured that the necessary steps are being taken to mitigate any potential future incidents. What this looks like what this looks like is providing a path forward that will help Edward better communicate his boundaries and also help others be aware of those boundaries. At the same time, we are putting procedures and people in places that will help prevent or quickly respond to any future incidents. These are the initial steps we are taking. Number one, Pedro has offered to help Edward while he is here each Sunday navigate interactions with others and help communicate his boundaries. Number two, some have raised concern because Edward brings a backpack with him. We have respectfully asked that Edward not bring his backpack into the building and he has graciously agreed to this. Number three, we want to do more to provide as safe an environment as we are able. Hearing how Pedro was able to help by meeting Edward where he was and talk with him to calm things, calm him, highlighted a way we can do more. This week, I spoke with Jimmy Helley, who is part of our South Point family. He has provided safety training to our staff and volunteers in the past, and I've asked him to train a team of people in best practices as first responders to anything that may occur on a Sunday, any kind of incident or medical emergency. This team will be another layer to our safety team, 
And our goal is to have no less than four of these individuals present in each of our services. We hope to have an initial team ready by the end of January, but in the meantime, I am, taking, uh, I am talking with some who will bridge this gap until we have this formal team ready to go. Number four, we will continue our conversations with Edward and with others to continue to learn ways to do all of this better. We know this will take time, but we believe it's worth the time and effort. Here's what we hope comes out of all of this and what we need to remember. The first thing is this. In his letter to the Ephesian churches, the apostle Paul reminds us the struggle we face isn't one against flesh and blood, but rather it's a spiritual battle, meaning there is an enemy, Satan, that seeks to disrupt and destroy all God is making new through Jesus we fight this battle through prayer and through keeping our focus on Jesus. We must find our confidence in the promise that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God is greater. Number two, that God through his spirit in us will bring us closer to one another than ever before. We know God will take this incident and use it for good. How we respond will demonstrate that we are a community of people where everyone can and does experience the unconditional love of God. What the enemy may have meant to bring fear and division will draw more people to Jesus as they witness a group of people work together to allow God to heal and restore. Number three that we will not allow fear to keep us from gathering together. We have watched this happen over and over again these past few years. I hope that we will battle against fear. I believe what the scripture says is true. Perfect love drives out fear. I hope we will all choose love. Number four, that we will conti all continue to pray. This isn't simple lip service to prayer, but the reality that we need God to move. We depend on the Holy Spirit to work and move as only he can. There are so many things we can't fix and that we don't control. But we know there is one who is always in control, and we can trust him because he is good. Dustin and I are going to be right here uh, in front of the stage right after the service to answer any questions that you may have, or, or feel, please feel free to reach out to us uh, at any time. On the screen, my cell phone um, and Dustin's and my email addresses are also, and Edward has graciously offered to have his contact information available, and it is also on the screen. We want to talk and we want to hear from you. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we just, uh, we turn this over to you. Uh, Father, we know there is a part that you call us to play, and there we know there's a much larger part that you play. And so, Father, we commit this to you. We trust you. We love you. We know that you are going to work and move. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.